Dragonfly Music presents the Connection Sessions, live at Foster Street Coffee in downtown Durham, North Carolina. Welcome to the Connection Sessions podcast, a weekly inspirational conversation with people I admire. One-on-one conversations with no agenda except to inspire and empower through authentic human connection. I'm your host, Karen Novi musician and songwriter, mom to two amazing kids. I want to thank Tracy Cooper and the staff at Foster Street Coffee for hosting us. We are rolling. Uh, This is Karen Novi, and I'd like to welcome my guest, Katie Rosenbaum, uh, Dr. Katie Rosenbaum, to you, um, for um, this week's Connection Session. And uh, we started talking about some cool stuff, so I was like, wait, hold that thought. Don't say any more. I have to roll the tape. <laughs> so um, we were just discussing uh, that I, I had a session with a life coach yesterday, my first coaching session, and um, how it kind of unraveled a lot of what I have been holding on to <laughs> about myself. And, um, and I'm a little... Uh, I'm a little freaked out today and probably, you know, will be, but you were saying that your mom gave you some great advice when something like that happens with life, was it? Also, and well, welcome, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> uh, my mom's an interesting character and has had quite a, a life journey, but uh, but along the way she has picked up a lot of wisdom and she is definitely my hero in the world. And oh, that's amazing. Um, and her, her statement is in and through, and she has it on the wall in her... Uh, study at home and and the idea is you can't skirt things that are difficult you have to go in them and go through them to the other side because that's where the good stuff is so in and through you just got to walk you got to you got to see it in front of you you got to go okay I'm a little scared I'm a little not liking this but I'm just going to go in and I'm just keep walking until I come out the other side that is brilliant first of all makes me a little choked up second of all whew that hard stuff is scary sometimes and especially if you've carried it you know for a long time yeah yeah Ooh-wee. okay it's really scary and I'll tell you here's my twist on it because when I was in a place that I was thinking in and through was not something I thought I had the capacity for mm. I thought of it as this way like imagine that you're um you're at a pond right and you need to get to the other side mm. you go in a little bit and you learn to cope with what's there and then you drain that part away and you go to a little bit more and you learn to cope with what's there and you drain that part away. So eventually you get in and through, but you don't have to like plunge through the middle of this, you know, 15 foot deep mm. lake. You don't have to jump right in. You don't have to jump part. right in. You just kind of go in and you deal with that part and you go in a little more and you deal with that part and eventually you get through. Mm. But oh, you do like it at your image. own pace. Yeah. And that, that made it okay for me. Hmm. Ooh, that's good. That's a good image. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to that, Doctor Katie. Oh, <laughs> what is your um? I, I, you have a psychology degree. Yes. Okay, but what is your specific like? What was your concentration? So I'm child clinical psychology, and then because I am a glutton for punishment, while I was in graduate school, my statistics professor talked me into being a quantitative psychologist as well. So I got a oh. dual degree. That's in. why you handle the data. That's so why well. I do data. Okay. <laughs> that's why 
I do statistics. Ah. And then, of course, okay. I met in a math class taking all of this, the quantitative classes I had to take my husband, who oh. is a statistician. And so the dinner time conversation is oh, riveting. sometimes I'm sure. just really, everyone's like, <laughs> please let us come over to your house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, oh, but the area so that I've always been really passionate about, um, it started with child abuse prevention. How do we, how do we work with, with families and communities to prevent child abuse in the first place? Mm. And it's kind of morphed into, okay, we know the bad things happen to kids. We, yes, we, prevention is key. We want to keep doing that. But what do we do to, to support kids along the journey, even when bad stuff happens, that we can't stop? Mm. And so what, do we, what skills do we help the kids to learn? What supports do we put around them? How do we structure the environment so that it's more calming and less overwhelming mm. so that they can be successful as they move through they're in and through, right? As they get to their other side. Right. So what do we right. need? What supports do we build around them? And so um, wow. I work with a lot of different settings, you know, schools and, and child welfare and things like that to try to build that understanding and capacity and support system for kids. Right. And and that's that's also, um, you know, that's an education of the different players in their lives, right? I mean, especially their parents or caregivers, right? Because you're talking about not just having that in a school environment, but in the home environment, mm -hmm. where the trauma may mm -hmm. or be taking mm -hmm. place, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, really, really at the base of it, I, I, my work is for kids, but it's, um, it's interventions with adults because it's the adults that are needing to be there for the kids, and it's the adults who have had their own history of trauma and their own stuff that's right. getting in the way, right? So how do we sure. support the adults? How do we help the adults to have the skills and the understanding so that they're ready to support the kids. That's right. where the work is. Right, right, yeah. How do we stop that cycle? How do we stop that cycle? Yeah. I know. And it's working, I mean, the, the teachers have it. Right. You go to any, any helper, you go to anybody who's gone into a helping profession, they've got a much higher rate of adversity in their, in their past. That's, people go into that profession because they want to help others because they're trying to help themselves, right? That's, oh. that's a big piece of it. So yeah, you got to work yeah. with the helpers. <laughs> So right. that they're really stable enough to do the helping they want to do. Right. I, I never thought of it that way, although it makes perfect sense that uh, someone who is in a line of service or helping, I, I just assumed they were all good. They were all together. They were, <laughs> you know, they were like, I got this. I'm going to go into the world. I know. That, but it's so funny because reflecting in my own life, I'm like, no, you idiot, because... That's why you, you know, look at music as a, as a healing uh, process and a therapy because that's what it was for you with your own set of trauma. So, of course, you know, how our experiences, right, and our, you know, good or bad inform and, you know, develop us. So as we get older, we, we carry that with us for better or for worse. And, hopefully lose the baggage part and just use the, you know, right. The, hopefully the, good the for better part, right. The for better yeah. part. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's mm. what builds our empathy. It's what builds our understanding and it's what builds the passion to, to do the work. Yeah. So. Right. And I think there is really, uh, that's an important piece. I think of anybody's life to have a, a, a piece of their life where they're in service in some way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel, I feel strongly about that. Although I haven't consistently had that in my own life, but I'm trying to get that 
more consistent so that my kids can see that that's important. You know, we don't practice a particular religion, so I try to do things in the community, you know, for them to get that sense of community responsibility, mm-hmm. right? And 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 thinking outside their own little lives and mm-hmm. such. But um, boy, it's, it's it's I think that's an important facet for everybody um, to engage in. Your mom, since we've already brought her up, um, is a very interesting person, she isn't is she? A fascinating she is person. not a rule follower. <laughs> from what I, um, she's not. She's sort of a trailblazer. <laughs> the last thing she is is a rule follower. <laughs> yeah. And and so I want to I want you to talk a little bit about, um, if you don't mind, her history, um, because I also think that that informs what you've chosen and what you were. You Absolutely. Know what I, mean? I mean, I think yeah. that's there's a connection, and I know you two are close. Um, she sounds like a very interesting woman that I would love to meet. Actually, after I read what you sent me, I thought I need to go to one of her workshops that she offers, one yeah. of her women's retreats. Yeah because it sounds amazing. So, okay, tell me a little bit about, like maybe an earliest memory of your mom or some of your earliest memories of, of her work, et cetera. Oh my gosh, I, I, can't even, I can't even begin to imagine what I would say. I, I, think, I think the most important thing in terms of thinking about earliest memories is my mother directed a camp um, when I was growing up um, that was for inner city kids. And um, in, it was this in Virginia. It was in Virginia, but it was in the okay. mountains. In the mountains. It, so Virginia. it wasn't. Okay. I grew up in a in a town near Richmond, and this was up in the mountains. Um, so taking the Richmond kids okay. on buses, and many of them had never seen, you know, like woods before. Wow. <laughs> Wild animals. They were what? What's happening? Um, wow. But take so she worked during the during the school year when I was in school. She worked at um, community centers in the inner cities. Um, with the kids and their families doing, you know, Mother's Morning Out programs, doing kind of scouts, doing different kinds of programs for the kids and their families in wow. the community centers. And then she took those kids in the summer to this camp up in the, up in the mountains, and she directed the camp. And um, it was the most, you know, they talk about places in the world having different energy or different connections or different, you know, there was just oh, yeah. something magical about this place. Still, to this day, if I walk in there, it's just... It has a piece that I've never felt anywhere else. It's wow. a beautiful place, and um, and so that's where I spent my summers. And you know, it was difficult in a way because I was sharing my mother with all the kids at the whole camp, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad was there, my brother was there, our whole family went. Um, uh, and were there other counselors as well? Or oh yeah, tons of okay. yeah, yeah. No, tons it was a big camp. Yeah, she was, was the director. How many kids were, are we talking about? And, and... Oh. I don't know, 100, 120 at a time oh, wow. kind of thing. Okay. And, they, okay. and there were was like four a sessions across the summer. So um, the they called them little boys, big boys, and little girls, big girls. So okay. the younger girls came for a week, the younger boys came for a week, the older boys came for two weeks, and the older girls came for two weeks. Okay. Kind of separately. Got you know, it. you don't yep. want them all together. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, really rustic, I mean, totally this rustic way out in the middle of nowhere, um, cabins with screen windows and bunk beds and, wow. you know, all of that. And, um and you spent basically six weeks. I just there, lived every there. Summer. Uh, tw- twelve, more like twelve. Wow. Yeah, because we had to go and set it all up, and you know there were six weeks of campers, but we had to go and set it up, and then we had to train the counselors, and then you know oh then break God. it down at the end. It was a long summer, but um, it was the best place in the world, and we got run of it. And my very best friend in the world, her name is Julie, um, is exactly my age, and her brother is exactly my brother's age. Oh. And her parents actually introduced my parents to each other. Oh, really? 
Yes. Oh, that's cute. Um, and they worked at the camp too. So we were all there all summer. Oh, and so Julie and I just ran wild in the woods and the creek and oh, yeah. you know, did whatever we wanted to. So my earliest memories of my mother are, are there at camp, sitting around the campfire with her, having, you know, being in her lap and feeling really happy that at the end of the day where she had been able to spend all this time with the other kids, all the other kids were around the campfire, but I was in her lap. Uh, you were <laughs> oh, special. I was, it, was, it was excellent. But you know, the other thing is, everybody there was my mom. Uh, you know, all the other counselors they they were all they were all aunts. You know, right? And uncles yeah, yeah. That, like that family, all took care. Right? So yeah, so that that's one of my earliest memories. Oh my gosh, a beautiful place. That's a huge undertaking. Place. She just sort of did that on her own. Like that was her. You know. Well, so the camp existed before her. She was the third director. There's actually a book about it now because it's the oldest camp um, in Virginia. Oh wow! And um, it has been and, it, and it's had only female directors um, and it's a Baptist camp okay. and it has been running since the beginning of the 1900s um, the beginning of time the beginning of time <laughs> yes since the beginning of time um, and uh, okay and wow. so when she she came in as an assistant director um, with the second director who'd been there for a while and then she took over from her and, and her big accomplishment during that time period was to integrate the camp to bring the african-american kids from the community centers to camp also gotcha and that oh, was I, and i just was thinking the whole time that it was integrated uh, yeah but, but it what hadn't been but it hadn't been because this was that the was 60s right? right so yeah. <laughs> so so she so she so she integrated the camp and you know a lot of people in the church were not a big fan of this and that's where she was getting her money, you know, and the, and the, um, the church has threatened to, to shut her down for quite some time. And she had to go around and, wow. and, and really raise interest and raise funds and change minds. But in the end, she was like, look, I know these kids. I work with them all year. They had, they had white community centers and black community centers, and she worked at both of them. And she was like, I know these kids. I know they're going to be okay together. We're going to bring them all, and it's going to be fine. And I don't remember any of that happening. I just remember the outcome, which is that it was like a big family and there were no racial tensions at all. Like, I didn't get that. I did not understand that that was a thing that wow. happened in the rest of the world because it was just normal. Yeah. And um, it was just coexistence. Right? Now, to look back on it and realize that she did that and that she went through all of that adverse, like the, all of the challenge, all of the you know people fighting against her is phenomenal to me but it never felt that way at the camp it just felt like a family wow and it always was and still to this day the same counselors that were there then still get together and they had a hundred year anniversary of the camp party recently and um about five years ago and the uh you know all the same people from all the way back then came and people wow. were coming up to my mother and saying you changed my life your camp changed my life it was the first time that i saw another way of being another way of interacting with people different than the inner city and Wow. It's just, it, it was just an amazing place. It really was. Oh, it was really yeah. phenomenal. And what a, what an amazing thing for you to be a part of and observe, but also for your mother to orchestrate that yeah, right? huge, huge change. And to have the church that was funding her um, threaten to stop funding, which is so backwards, right? I always look, I, I like to think of churches as places where people can come together. I know. <laughs> and then, so that's like, that, like, it blows my mind that that can, that that can coexist. The, some, you know, the idea of community and exclusivity. Well, so I'll tell right? you, my mother um, got her master's in religious education. You know, back when women weren't allowed to study anything except the education side of religion. So she, and she got her master's in oh, religious wow. education in New Orleans. 
Oh, that's Baptist, amazing. At a Baptist seminary. Hopefully with a with a minor in voodoo. <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh my god. But that's so, amazing. So she came and did this camp and that's um, awesome. And and led the led the worship sessions, right? We had a place called Piney Park in the woods at the camp. Okay. Um, which is and with little benches that were the pews and she would lead the worship sessions on Sundays and oh, that's cute. I thought that's what church was. Like church was my mother talking about being nice to each other and getting along, right? right? That's what church was. And so oh the churches that I've been to since then have very mostly disappointed me, I have to admit. I would imagine if that's that's a pretty high bar to set, if that's what, you, what you're used to at a church. In fact, Julie and I were the doors to the church, so we stood by these two pine trees, and when people entered, when they passed us, they were not allowed to speak anymore. We were the entryway into oh the church, God. and it was, just, it was just beautiful. It really was. But then we came home, so we magical. would come home from church, a church, from camp, to, to our small community, and um, and my mother had a, a black Girl Scout troop from this inner city um, community center. She just she decided worked. to become the troop leader. She was the troop leader, and okay. they, they would come to our house um, and have cookouts and stuff like that, you know. Awesome. It's just part of my life. Yeah. Um, until all of a sudden, none of the neighbors were allowed to talk to me anymore. And our the church that we went to in the local community um, shunned us because we had African-American people at our house. And, wow. And that was that. And so we ended up going to the big city, into Richmond, to go to church because the church there was the one that ended up funding the camp and that kept it going. Uh, and ended so, up, yeah, it was obviously. So they were yeah. more accepting. <laughs> we ended up going there. And, um, and I just didn't have friends in my neighborhood. I had friends at school. Huh. I was friends with all the kids at school. <laughs> And did, never, you go, did you go to like a, the local public school? It was the local, okay. yeah. Okay, but yeah. it was just your particular neighborhood was not open. Mm. Wow. And you know, it's funny looking back on it because I didn't think anything of it and I used to have every single girl in my class to my, to my sleepovers for my birthdays, you know, and I just never thought anything of it. And I now realize that when I went to other sleepovers at other people's houses, I would either be the only white girl there or there would be no African-American kids there. Yeah. So there was still, but I just didn't see it. But you I didn't just, see it. I just didn't Because that wasn't your reality. It wasn't. That's it not wasn't. what you learned in yeah. your home, right? Yeah. So, and I, I think there's something so beautiful about, you know, children's, well, and your mom, obviously, your parents, obviously, were supportive of this, but children not, like, you know, being colorblind, so to speak, right? Like, children just inherently, naturally gravitate toward each other and play together. Mm-hmm. Unless the adults or the authority is telling them it's not okay or telling them otherwise they shouldn't be doing it, you know? Yep. You get your so, cues from the people around you. Yes. I, we ta- yeah. Yeah, the, <laughs> Tying this all back to trauma-informed work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please do. I love it. Um, That's it, why she's the professional, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that we talk about so much is that kids learn to regulate their stress response system. They learn to decide when something is scary and when something is not by watching the adults around them, right? Oh, the adults Lord. are the cues for, this is bad. My, my, my chemical system needs to go on to high alert and I need to be ready to fight, fight, fight fly, or freeze, right? And um, if the adults around us can keep themselves together, then it gives us that feeling of calm and it keeps our stress response system from having to, to click in, right? Oh, yeah. So that's one of the huge things that we do is 
is think about the fact that the adults are the touch points for the kids. The kids are constantly, even if you don't realize it as right. an adult, looking to you They're for your reaction in. to yeah, things. Yeah. Is this okay? Is this bad? Is this acceptable? Is this not? And it's that's why the adults have to do their work first. Because yeah. the adults haven't done their work, then all of their stuff is like... Trickles onto the you know, kids. It's translated right, to the kids yeah. without... The kids just soak it up. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, dear God. No, but it's fun. No, <laughs> no you know, because I'm thinking about like my own childhood. I know exactly what you're and thinking. And then now what I'm now <laughs> I know exactly putting onto thinking. my children for stuff that is bubbling up. Oh. But here's the thing. Okay. And this is the part that... This is, this is why I talk about with schools all the time that it's so important. Our brains are incredibly malleable. And the opportunities to heal are amazing. Do you know that if you've experienced a lot of trauma and, um, and your stress response system is really activated on a regular basis, it actually changes the structures in your brain. So some of them get bit stronger and some of them get weaker. Some of them get bigger and some of them get smaller. Huh. So your brain is more quickly attuned to panic and fight, fight or freeze, right? Because if you need to protect yourself if yeah. you're exposed to danger all the time. Because that part needs to be really strong. You need to protect yourself. Okay. If you're not exposed to danger all the time, then the parts of your brain that more carefully consider and think and problem solve can grow stronger. So the parts of your brain that grow depend on the environment that, that they are exposed to so that you thrive. Whatever environment you have, your brain needs to build itself to be successful in that environment. So as a result, um, adults who have had really rough histories um, tend to have smaller areas of their brain like their uh, hippocampus, which is the part of your brain that helps you calm down when you're upset and also the part of your brain that helps you to uh, store and retrieve information, so your memory kinds of stuff, mm, right? Right. So this can be a really big challenge for kids in school because they need to remember stuff and they need to stay calm. Right. Do you know that if you undergo a mindfulness course and you practice mindfulness on a daily basis for six months, your hippocampus can regrow to the size that it should be and begin to function exactly the way it would have had nothing happened. So the ability that we okay, have in our just, bodies just to heal is amazing. You just blew my mind. You just blew well, my mind. Well, soak it in. Okay. This is true. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I w- because I was just going to ask, selfishly, I was like, huh. Somebody, my, my coach just yesterday mentioned to me about mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll consider it. I, you know, I don't think I really need it. You know, I'll, I'll dabble in it a little bit. <laughs> I'll try it once. But all of a sudden, I'm like, you are confirming something really important for me. And I just want to stop here for a minute. Thank you. Wow, I did not know that, because I'm sure that my hippocampus is pretty teeny tiny. You know. And the wow. more, th- and I'll tell you another thing, because you know, my mother and I, as as beautiful as our relationship has been, we've had my mother's. I don't know if you know ACE scores, but a- adverse childhood experiences are, mm. are kind of a buzzword these days. The ACE, uh. the ACE survey, and it was a survey of ten yes or no questions. Did this happen in your childhood? Did this happen in your childhood? Um, and and you could get a score of zero. None of them happened. To ten, all ten of them happened. Okay. And there was a study that they did, you know, twenty years ago that showed that the higher your score on this survey, the more challenges you were going to have with substance abuse, with mental health, with physical health, with cancer, with heart disease, with all kinds of things, wow. because they accumulate in your body. My mother's ACE score is a nine. So she doesn't come from 
happy and joy. Right. <laughs> and wow. Certainly, really? um, I, I some of that was passed along to me. So it's not like we've had this beautiful like everything's Idyllic. been fabulous. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the reason this camp was so important to me because I would go there in the summer and this was like this healing, wonderful place. Wow. And so uh, I, I say all that to say I've passed some of this on to my kids. Of course I have. Right. But as I heal, so do they. Mm. And as my mother has healed, so have I. And it's amazing how parallel that is. Like, she makes these steps, and I make them, and it's like she's eased the way for me. And I make them, and then I see my kids make them. And the power that you have over the people in your life is far more than you realize. to say. Wow. That was so beautiful. I just need a minute yeah. to uh, think about that process of your mother and you and your children and how it relates to my mother and my experiences and me and my children. That there's another path. Yes. That doesn't have to be yes. negative and sad and anxiety provoking. Yes. That there is joy, right? There is light. There and is light. There is hope. There is opening up your eyes to all of the opportunities and moments of amazingness mm. <laughs> around us. Mm. You know? And the more that I have those moments, the more I see my kids have them. And recognize this is here is one right here, you know? Yeah. Wow. Ooh, I guess I'm going to commit to a six-month... Um, <laughs> oh, girl. Ooh, I think I'm going to... It was the biggest life-changing thing I have ever done. And it's... You did an actual course? I did. I did a course. course. I okay. did. I did it for a year. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, I started with one course. I took another course. I, I didn't stop. <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell you right now. It sucks at first. Really? <laughs> so you're not going to go in there and feel like, I am good at this. <laughs> right, I right. got this. You're going to go in there and feel like, well, this is dumb, and I can't do it, and what's the point? Right. But that's why you're in a class, because you have to go <laughs> the next week. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and if you get a good instructor, like, um, we, you had to practice every night, and you had to write a little journal of like what went well and what didn't go well, and what questions did you have while you were doing it, and, and then my instructor would write back. Like, oh, this is totally normal. Like, yeah, that's exactly what happens. And yeah, that's fine. Just keep doing it. All you got to do is keep doing it. You don't have to do it right. You just have to keep doing it. And I was like, okay. And just the amount of pressure that lets off you. Like, oh, I just have to sit here for 10, 15 minutes. Even if I suck at it, <laughs> it's doing something. Right. And it is. And the, and the is transformation it, is amazing. Is it actual meditation? Or is it is it more than that? Is it is it sort of, you know... Thinking about specific uh, visualizations and a positive affirmations, and uh, because because I, I find that a meditation daily meditation practice helps me a lot, and, yep. and meditation and yoga combined helps me a lot. So how is this different, or what? Okay, what? you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna shine at this if you're already that far along. Um, the idea of it is really just to be in the present moment. 
to not be thinking forward, to not be thinking backwards, to just be and to feel all of the things that you don't notice, you know, like the chair under you and the, mm. just to be here and yeah. to notice the amazing things that you can feel with your senses that we just don't pay attention to. Right. And the class itself doesn't focus on one way to do that because there's lots of ways to do it and everyone finds the one that fits them the best. So yoga is one of them. Okay. Yoga is not the one that fits for me. Yeah. It makes me want to punch people, which I realize <laughs> is not the goal of yoga. Not the goal of yoga. <laughs> yes, that much I do know. I don't do that one. That's um, funny. You know, there's walking yoga. There's, I mean, yoga. Mm, walking, walking meditation. meditation yeah. There's eating meditation. There's, um, sometimes we would sit and think of just our breath. Sometimes we would think of a mantra. Sometimes we would just notice the things we could hear in the room or the, you know, all kinds of different ways to do it. There's mm. progressive muscle relaxation where you're just noticing, right. relax my feet. So we practiced all of those for different ones, different weeks. Okay. And you would practice whatever one we were working on at home that week until you found the one that you really liked. Okay. And what I kind of settled on is a kind of a combination of um, like progressive muscle relaxation with the phrase, I am enough. That just became like, I don't need to do or be anything. Just being me in the world is enough. And I'm succeeding at that. So, wow. Good. <laughs> and, and just saying that to myself instantly takes me to a calmer, less brain-spinny kind of place. Right, right. Because I do think that, that we can really ease. Our brains are amazing, yes, and have the ability to heal and change and adapt. And they also have the ability to <laughs> cut us at our knees if we let it. You know what I mean? Here's the so, other thing I learned in that class. Okay. There's a part of your brain that's job is to solve problems. Mm. And it doesn't have a concept of time. It just has a concept of, here's a problem, let me solve it. Mm. And that's why it gets stuck trying to solve things that happened 10 years ago that you can't solve anymore because they happened 10 years ago. Um. And you just kind of have to say, dude, <laughs> yeah, done, can't fix that one, yeah. move on. Yeah. But they'll get, get off they're of that still problem. trying to fix it. Because it's still think, that part of your brain's still like, oh, I can fix this. I'm just going to think my way out of it. I can still fix it. You can't still fix it. Wow, really? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. And so, for me, one of the most important no things. No wonder why I'm so exhausted all the right? time. <laughs> You're trying to fix your whole life. You can't fix the last 40 years. Oh my God. We're going to go with 40. Yeah, we'll go with 40. 40's a good number. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's exhausting. And so you just kind of have to laugh every time that happens. You know, it's like it's like the, the misbehaving child in your head, like, oh, there you go again, trying to fix You can't fix that. You just stop that. Right. Like, just don't waste time. Let's you know, about, just stop with that. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Let's get, we're going to come, we're going to look yeah. at today. We're going to feel today. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So for you, the combination of muscle relaxation mm -hmm. and... And just that statement. That statement, I am enough. And just the, the breathing, just really focusing breathing, on the breathing. Yeah. I'll tell you the other thing that... Every day, daily. Do I do it every day anymore? Not as well as I used to. Okay. I really should. And I don't. Okay. And it would probably help my blood pressure. Okay. But here's what I found. Doing it for a year shifts something inside you in a way that never goes back. Like, wow. I am at a different place than I was. And again, I, yes, I should do it every day. I probably do it two or three times a week. Um, but I can take three deep breaths and oh, go to a different place. Mm. And I never could have done that before. Mm. So it's kind of a conditioned response. Right, right. You've sort of retrained. I've learned that if I take three deep breaths, body. then 
Stress response system shut down, dude. It's okay. Everything's fine. Everything's and fine. Nothing bad here. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Nothing folks. to see. Move on. Move along. Move exactly. along. Nothing to see yeah. here. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And where did you take the course? I took it at UNC. Okay. Um, but they have them. I know they have them at Duke. Yeah. Um, I know they have them at Duke. Yeah. But I I cannot recommend that highly enough. Okay. As much as you might uh, wiggle and squirm your way through it at the beginning. Yeah. But if you've yeah. already been doing yoga, well, the thing is, yeah, the crazy thing is for me is that I know what works well, and then I get into these phases where I don't do it, and then all of a sudden I'm spiraling. <laughs> You're like, I'm trying wait, to figure out why. I'm like, wait, <laughs> why? I don't. Things aren't. Yeah, this is hard. <gasps> oh, maybe I'll start meditation practice today. You know, but I'm already in the trauma of the spiral, right? And I'm, and I'm like, I just need to, I need to get myself out of that. Wow. Katie Rosenbaum, how have we not discussed this aspect of transformation before in all the time that I've known you? I mean, I guess because we worked together and we did, there was not, that was not. It wasn't that, part of the discussion. Here's my receipt. Oh my God. Yeah, that was the discussion. Here, what do I do with these? I don't know how to fill this. Uh, wow. I'll tell you the other thing that really changed my life. And Peach. it was a moment in time and whether, you know, it could have changed my life at any other moment, I don't know. Interesting. But I once said to a therapist that I was working with, will I ever be okay? Because I just felt so broken and so messed up and I just thought, oh. I will never get past this and be yeah. a normal person. Right. And I said, will I ever be okay? And he said to me, you already are okay. You just haven't figured it out yet. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, holy cow, look at that. This not being okay is something I'm holding on to, not something that's real. And if I just let it go and just be okay, I will be. And I did and I was. Wow, all right, you're just like dropping, like you're just blowing my mind left and right with this conversation. And I feel like this is all stuff that I should know or did know or something, but today I'm like, wow. We are all okay. We're okay, you're okay. We're okay. Yeah. You're sitting right here, there's it's nothing It's the stories that we're telling ourselves yes. about what has happened or what we perceive to have happened. And who we are and, and what who we, can we deal are, with. yeah, that that we're holding on to. Yes. Yep. It's all about the stories. It is all about the stories. So it's an it's an it's a choice. Exactly. Right? We have a choice. Yes. In, in every moment we have to keep making the choice because our brains are on automatic pilot sometimes, right? Yeah. So they hop back over there. Yeah. Without yeah. our meaning for them to. So we right. have to keep making the choice. Over and over again. I would like to just make it once. I know, it would please. be really helpful. <laughs> but that's where my focus no, helps. Because okay. it helps you to train your brain to respond more quickly when you say, hey, cut it out. Yeah. And it really also like helps get back you on be this more track. efficient with yourself when you... When you fall off. Fall off. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yep. You're 100% okay. You're better than okay. You're fabulous. Yes. Yes. You're not, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not fully with me on that yet, but it's in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, here, I want to tell you a little side story. With me, it always comes back to music and uh, whether or not 
that's healthy is another <laughs> conversation for another day. But music has helped me so much. Songwriting has helped me so much um, in my life. Um, but I recently met with someone. Was it well? Like, it, was, it was probably uh, almost six months ago now. A documentary filmmaker who wanted a song for their film, their short film, um, and it was a, it was a it was an autobiography, you know, piece about their um, gender identity and their process. Mm -hmm. And I met with this person, and I mulled over the you know their story in my mind for a couple of weeks. And then got to this inspired like place of being able to put pen to paper and think about you know what I perceived to be their process and all by way of saying I finished the song, which I will tell you is called "I Am Enough." I know I, I had pleased. to say I know. <laughs> So you said that, and I was just like, <clears throat> I was glad I didn't have coffee in my office. I would have spit it out all over the table. And it's called I Am Enough. And I realized about a month after I wrote it that I wrote it for me also. You know what I mean? This was that transitional time where I was trying to decide, you know, whether to leave my full-time job and pursue music full-time. And, and, you know, there's just been a lot of, things that I've been weighing and considering and I struggle with having confidence in my decisions and also in letting go of the past or you know not letting my past and my conditioning define me and um, I sat down like a month or two after I, I wrote that for them which by the way they didn't end up using in the film because the other song they were hoping to get the license to came through but then I had this amazing song this amazing gift of a song and I sat down and I played it, and I, I just was heaving and sobbing by the end of the song. I was like, oh my God, this is about me. And for every human being, right, Who, who's, um, uh, I am the same, worthy of love, no need to explain, I am enough. And that might be what carries me through this, this next period of searching and that's it. Understand That's it. it. Yeah. You yeah. said it. Wow. Wow. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Me too. <laughs> and I hope everybody out there that's listening gets something amazing out of it. I know that I did. And I appreciate you sharing and your story. And that's why your music is so beautiful for all of us too. Because every song you write is about each of us. And we can each take from it the part that our soul needs and I just that's what I so appreciate about listening to you. Mm. Thank you Katie. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And thanks for being here today. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Okay.